Please take your Bibles and open them up to Psalm 23 for our time in God's Word this morning. And as you're turning there, I just want to say what a great privilege it is for me to be here uh, today, just like it was a privilege all those years. I mean, listening to Chance's introduction, I felt older than I already am. But I, I'm glad I had the opportunity to serve here all those years, and I'm so thankful for it. The Lord is continuing to do here through the elders and their hard work and faithful leadership. And, and I want you to know that uh, Roberta and I think about you and pray for you often and uh, try to keep track of what's going on around here. So uh, when this service starts at 9 o'clock, it's 7 o'clock in California, and I'm eating my bowl of Cheerios and getting ready for church. And I often tune in and watch the beginning of the service, so I see what's going on. I see all of you people sitting here in the middle, or at least I see the back of your heads. And uh, I, I noticed that something happened to the chairs here, so I, I keep track of those kinds of things. And, and it's nice to know that some people still sit in the same spot that they always did. <laughs> and I still see you over there. So uh, it's just great to be here with you this morning. And I am here today to encourage you to follow the shepherd as he's described for us here in Psalm 23. So I just want to read the psalm. We're going to focus our attention on verses 4 through 6. Now let me just read the whole thing for us as we get started. It's a psalm of David. And it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is perhaps the most well-known and widely loved of all the Psalms. It has a powerful opening statement, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, you may have heard the story of the young girl in Sunday school who was asked to recite this verse, and she stood up and said, The Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. Now, she didn't say it right, but she got it right, didn't she? And the reality is, if you could say, The Lord is my shepherd, then you could say, I shall never want. I shall never want. It's a statement that speaks of the total sufficiency of the shepherd. And I want you to notice as we go through the psalm that the dominant focus is on the Lord and what he does. It's all about him and what he does. One commentator says, it, its power lies in dwelling so little upon men and so much on God. See how every verse tells us what he is doing. This is the true policy of life. Unbelief puts circumstances between itself and Christ so as not to see him. Faith puts Christ between itself and circumstances so that it cannot see them. That's a great statement, and that's what this psalm presents to us. And the sufficiency of the shepherd is seen in three ways. I just want to quickly go through verses 2 and 3 to show you the first two ways. First way is that he provides satisfaction satisfaction in verse 2 he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters that is a picture of peace 
It, it pictures a sheep stretching out in the, in the grass and just enjoying the peaceful surroundings. And that's significant because sheep are defenseless. I mean, you may have heard that sheep are dumb, dirty, and defenseless. The, the three Ds, that, that they are. And they are defenseless, and they are naturally fearful. And, and we can be just like that. We, we live in a dangerous and fearful world. We often worry about all kinds of things. But if we follow, listen to, and trust the shepherd, our souls can feel like they're stretched out in a lush pasture. That is what the shepherd wants for his sheep them to know that kind of satisfaction in their souls no matter what's going on around them. Uh, you, you might remember the, the familiar words from Philippians chapter 4 where it says that we're not to be anxious, chapter 4 verse 6, not to be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what the shepherd wants for his sheep. He provides satisfaction. That's one way in which he is sufficient. And, you know, I think that if we're honest here at church on a Sunday morning, we, we would say that we often are sitting here and we're worried about something that's coming up a week from Thursday. Well, I'm here to tell you, Jesus owns a week from Thursday. You can trust him. What the shepherd gives is better than anything else that, any, that our world can give. Uh, this is talked about in Psalm 36. Psalm 36, verses 7 through 9 says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. That's what the shepherd gives. He gives this to the satisfaction of his sheep. And going back to Psalm 23, the, the third verse talks about another way that he is sufficient. Uh, it says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He, he's sufficient in providing sanctification for his sheep. Sheep get dirty. Sheep get in trouble. Sheep stray away. David did, the author of this psalm. He, he strayed at times, didn't he? But the shepherd restores. Sheep can get worn down. Sometimes a, a sheep winds up on its back and it can't get up. It, it just rolls over to a nice, comfortable spot and it gets stuck, gets stuck there. Well, we too can get comfortable in our sin and we can get stuck there. Uh, but we have a shepherd who can restore, who can restore us. Also, sheep, uh, they can gather, they can grow too much wool. And, and uh, all kinds of bad things get into that wool. We, too, can accumulate too much of this world in our lives. We, we will, and we'll stray off somewhere and we'll get ourselves in trouble. The shepherd restores. 
can restore us. He can restore. To restore there, that word means to revive after disorder and decay. So it sounds like a complete restoration. That's what he can provide. That's the kind of sanctification that the Lord can provide to his sheep. And, and notice also that he leads us. It said that at the end of verse 2. It says it again in verse 3. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads us every day. He leads us a day at a time. It's a walk with him. And he leads us in the right paths. The well-worn paths. Uh, the same track that his people have been walking down forever. And it's important to note that he does it for his name's sake. He's not doing it for your name's sake. He's not doing it for my name's sake. If he was doing it for my name's sake, he might have given up a long time ago. That sheep, he's just too much trouble. But he does it for his name's sake, which guarantees that he will do it and that he will get the glory. He, he is, is sufficient. He gives satisfaction. He gives sanctification. The other way that we experience the sufficiency of the shepherd is in the security that he provides, and that's what verses 4 through 6 talk about. That's what I want to focus on because this is one area where we seem to have the most doubts about his sufficiency. Fear, worry, doubt, those are all questioning his sufficiency, and it's a very common problem. Can we say amen to that on a Sunday morning at church? Anybody here ever worried, been anxious, been fearful, doubting? It's very common. And so we're going to see three ways in these verses that the shepherd provides security for his sheep. First one is in verse 4, which says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So here's uh, point one if you're taking notes, and blessed are the people that take notes. Uh, point number one would be fear not, the shepherd is with you. Talks here about going through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, that's an illustration that, Paul, that David takes from his shepherding background uh, because every year they would lead their sheep from one pasture to another, Typically in the summer, the, the, the shepherd would lead the sheep from the valley pastures up to the mountaintop where it would be cooler and more comfortable. And the way there, though, has to go through valleys and ravines, or in Israel they call them wadis. So if you ever go to Israel, you'll notice uh, these wadis cut into the sides of the hills and, and mountains. And some of them, the sides of those valleys are so deep that unless the sun is directly overhead, it is dark in the valley. And that's why it's called the valley of death. Because hiding in the valley could be a robber or a predator. And these valleys, they must have been the, a, a sheep's worst nightmare. Th these would be fearful moments for sheep walking through a dark valley. They don't know what's out there. And the point that the text is making is that we all walk through some deep valleys. David definitely knew difficult and dangerous times in his life, right? I mean, first he had King Saul wanting to kill him, and then later he had his own son Absalom wanting to kill him. And so he was on the run 
uh, for his own life. He wrote psalms from some caves where he was hiding because they were out to get him and to kill him. And so he knows these difficult times. We all know these difficult times. And note, you've got to walk through them. A shepherd isn't airlifting you to the mountaintop. He's walking with you through those dark valleys. And these dark valleys, you need to understand, they are every bit as much a part of the Lord's right path for your life as the green pastures are. Fear is a, is a real issue in our lives. We live in a fearful, evil world. We're fearful of real dangers and imagined dangers. Some people, even in the church, probably some people sitting right here today are living in the grip of their fears. But notice that David makes a stunning declaration there. Even though I'm walking through this valley, this valley of the shadow of death, this fearful place, he says, I, fear, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. That's an amazing statement. And you got to ask yourself, well, how does he make a statement like that? Because of the next line, he says, for you are with me. And notice here that he's shifted from saying he, the shepherd, he, to now saying you. You will be with me. It's very personal for David. David recognizes God's presence in his life. He's the shepherd who's there with him all the time. And he says this a number of times in Psalm 3, at verse 3 through 6, he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Why? Because the Lord is with me. He's with me. In Psalm 9 and verse 7, he says, you have re But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. No matter what's going on, no matter how difficult things are, I can find security in the fact that the shepherd, he's, he's with me. He's right there with me. Uh, Psalm 16 uh, says these familiar words in verses 8 and 9. says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I see, I don't need to fear anything. I don't need to fear even the most frightening thing, because the shepherd is with me. He's with me. In Psalm 27, verse 1, David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And, and if you can say the Lord is the stronghold of my life, 
What's the answer to the question of whom shall I be afraid? This is the interactive part here. This is where you talk to me, all right? You don't want me just talking to you. I want you talking to me. If you can say what he says there, the Lord is the stronghold of my life, what's the answer to the question of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. You need to remind yourself of that. No one. If the Lord is with me, if he's my shepherd, if he's my stronghold, I don't need to be afraid of anybody or anything. David knew the presence of God in his life, the shepherd in his life. The Apostle Paul experienced the same thing in some fearful experiences that he was in. In Acts chapter 18, we read about him in Corinth. And he goes in and he preaches in the synagogue and he stirs up trouble like he always does. He gets kicked out and he knows the next thing, because he's done this enough times now, the next thing is some people are going to beat me up or they're going to throw stones at me and I'm going to be spending time in jail. And so, you know, that's not something you're looking forward to. What's on your calendar for tomorrow? Oh, I'm going to get beat up. But here's what, he, here's what happened on the night before he was anticipating that in Acts 18.9, it says, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. What does that tell you? He was afraid. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. Hey, Paul, you don't need to be afraid because I'm with you. I'm with you. The shepherd is there with his sheep. He cares about his sheep. When Paul came to the end of his life and he was standing trial before Caesar in Rome and was about to be beheaded for his faith and he's standing there in Rome, he says in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, about how everybody has been deserting him. He's basically left there all by himself to go through this all alone. And he says, at my first defense, in 2 Timothy 4.16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. N nobody showed up for me. Nobody came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then he says this amazing thing. May it not be charged against them. Is that what you're saying when nobody shows up for you? May it not be charged against them? How could he say that? Because of the next verse. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord stood with me. Nobody else showed up, but it was enough that the Lord showed up. That's really practical, and you need to think about that. Do you are you really living in an awareness that the Lord is with you? It makes a huge difference. I remember this really hit me a few years back. In the last years of my dad's life, he had to spend a couple of times in a rehab facility for some physical issues, and we would go to visit him there, and at 9 o'clock, we have to leave. And so he's in a room all by himself in a strange building, 
with strange people, and there he is. And I, as I walked out one night, I thought, someday, that's going to be me in that room, all alone at night in a strange place. I mean, chances are, it's, that's going to be me. And I thought to myself, is having Christ with me going to be enough at that moment? Is it going to be okay with me that nobody else is there, but the Lord is with me? And I realized if I want to enjoy the benefit of the Lord being with me at that time, I better start thinking like that now, that the Lord is with me. And it doesn't matter what other people are doing. doesn't matter what they're doing to me. doesn't matter if they don't show up for me. If the Lord is there, that's good enough. And that's got to be good enough in a lot of other practical ways, too. Like for a husband loving his wife, and she's not responding the way he thinks she should, but if he's loving his wife the way the Lord has instructed him to love his wife, he's got to know that that pleases the Lord, even if it doesn't please his wife. And that has to be enough. The Lord is with me. I'm doing what he wants. I'm pleasing him. That's, that's good enough. Isn't it good enough? Yeah. Yeah, you say that now. <laughs> Let me check in with you Thursday afternoon. <laughs> See how we're doing. There's something you need to think about. And this isn't just you know for David and, and for Paul. You think, well, they're, they're hot shots. I mean, the Lord cared about them. They're, they're at the front of the pack. I'm the guy way at the back. you know. But it, this promise is for every believer because at the end of Matthew's gospel, at the end of the giving the great commission, the, the Lord gives these words. I mean, he's given a pretty big task, go and make disciples of all the nations. But he says this at the end, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's a promise to all Christians. I'm going to be with you all the way uh, to the very end. I'm going to be there with you. You don't need to be afraid. Yeah, I know the job I'm giving you could create some opposition, could create some difficulties, some challenges in your life, but I'm going to be right there with you. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, we have this promise, which is for all of us. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, it's got to, all my money could leave me, but the Lord will never leave me. His presence removes fear from my life. And not just his presence. You go back to Psalm 23. He's got some tools with him talks about his rod and his staff. His rod would be a small club used as a defensive weapon, and that's a picture of God's power. He's there, and he has all of God's power there. Is that enough power for you? All right, I heard two people mumble yes over here. What about you guys over here? Is that power enough? Yeah, yeah, it is. In fact, recently I was given a club, uh, uh, something like this rod, uh, by a missionary. Uh, from a, it was, it's used in another country by shepherds. 
and, and it's this hard wooden rod, and at the end there's like a it's like a ball with a pointed end to it. It's called a skull cracker. Somebody comes after your sheep, you you pull out the skull cracker, and uh, that takes care of it. The Lord can take care of us. He's got much more power than the skull cracker. And his staff, that refers to the shepherd's crook, which is used to guide the sheep safely, to keep them on the track. He's there with you to protect you from any attacks and to keep you moving in the right direction. So I don't need to be fear because the result here at the end of the verse is comfort. We are secured and protected by the shepherd. We don't need to fear. Fear not. The shepherd is with you. Secondly, fret not. The shepherd provides for you. Look at verse 5 there in Psalm 23. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Not only do we live in an evil, dangerous world, but God's people will have enemies as well. David certainly had his enemies, as we've already talked about. He had enemies that wanted to end his life. And you need to understand that the world is envious of God's people. They're envious of God's people. David's were. You can think of Saul. The thing that turned Saul against David was the people were singing this song that says, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his thousands. Saul didn't like that. And so he was envious of David because David's getting the top billing here because of God's blessing in David's life. And so he's envious of David. Uh, people were envious of Moses. Uh, you might remember the account of, of uh, some men who rose up amongst the people of Israel and uh, said, hey, hey, Moses and Aaron, we're, we're kind of tired of, of you guys leading us. Uh, we think it's time for some new leaders. And oh, by the way, we're nominating ourselves uh, to take over. And they were, because they were envious of Moses and the position that he had because of God's working in his life. Uh, these men, it says in Psalm 106, it says, when men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered up the company of Abiram. Those were the leaders of the revolt. But it says that they were revolting because they were jealous of Moses. A lot of times you'll have enemies because they're jealous of what the Lord has done for you. And it's interesting, too, in Matthew chapter 27, when Pilate is trying to get Jesus released and he's offering up an alternative, a man named Barabbas, he, he says that he's doing that in verse 16 of Matthew 27, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. They were envious of Jesus. They were envious of how the people flocked to Jesus. They were envious of the, the way people looked at Jesus. And they felt like they were losing their power over the people. And so they're envious of Jesus. We got to get rid of him. 
God's blessings are so profound that people become envious and hostile towards them. But despite the fact that we have enemies, real enemies, we have an assurance from God because the verse says there, Psalm 23, 5, it says, you, again, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God himself prepares a table for his sheep. God himself will provide for us. That is an enviable position. You, you think you go to a restaurant and you get in because you know somebody. You have an enviable position. Well, here it says God is taking care of you. God himself is providing for you. Believers are the most blessed people on the planet. We have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Every Christian has all the blessings. We're the most blessed people on the planet. And, and you've got to think about how great your treasures are in the Lord. It, it's sad when God's people start envying the world. But that's, that's what happens. We wish we had what they had, and we look with envy on them, and we can think, hey, I'm trying to live the Christian life, and things aren't going so well for me, and these people, they could care less about the Lord, and look at how things are going for them. Psalm 37, once David says, fret not yourselves because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers. Don't be envious of them because what they have is not anything compared to what you have in the Lord. The writer of Psalm 73, Asaph, he struggled with this kind of a thing. And it says in verse 3, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was envious of them. We can get distracted by the things of the world and what other people have, and we forget what really matters, and we forget all that we have in the Lord. We need to spend a whole lot more time thinking about what we do have instead of fussing about what we don't have. And a lot of Christians are, are like the person who has the keys to a mansion that's filled with unbelievable treasures but yet they sit out on the front porch and watch what the world has instead of just opening the door and enjoying all of the treasures that the Lord has for them. And we get envious of what the world has and we think we really need to have some of that and we forget all that we already do have in the Lord. You need to understand that the Lord has set you apart. The psalm talks about how he has anointed. He's anointed my head with oil. Kings and priests were anointed in Old Testament times with oil, and David was. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel uh, when he was declared to be the king. And you need to understand that the Bible says every Christian is a priest and a saint. You've been set apart by God, for God, and blessed with all of the blessings in Christ. And the picture here that David's drawn from is the fact that shepherds would anoint the heads of their sheep uh, to prevent scabbing and to keep bugs away so that they could experience gladness and not irritation. 
enemies, I, I don't know, maybe you've experienced this, enemies, they bring irritation into your life. Amen? They bring irritation into your life, but the Lord gives joy. In fact, in Isaiah 61, 3, which Art will be getting to three years or so from now, it's called the oil of gladness. It's the oil of gladness. He anoints my head with oil. And beyond that, he says, my cup, it overflows. My cup, it overflows. My cup would be a reference to the portion, what the Lord has given me, and what he gives to me, well, it overflows. And if you know the song, which I'm not going to sing, that goes to, with these verses, it overflows with love, peace, and joy. That's what we have from the Lord. And, and it's because he is gracious. He is abundantly gracious. Back in Psalm 16 again, in verses 5 and 6, this is the way David said it. He, he said, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Remember, did David live a nice, soft, comfortable life? Far from it. He had enemies all the time. He's in wars all the time. He's got people wanting to kill him all the time. But he's saying, I got a beautiful inheritance because I've got all that the Lord has given me. And that's the promise to us as followers of Christ. In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about the life that he gives to his sheep uh, he, he says, the thief comes only to steal in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it okay, like they're barely going to get by. No, your Bible doesn't say that. What does it say? More abundantly. More abundantly. Yeah, you, you don't need to, to worry. You don't need to fear what people could do to you because you have a shepherd who gives you more abundantly. More abundantly. And back in John chapter 7, uh, verses 37 through 39, it says on the last day of the feast, the feast of booths, it says it was the great day Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Rivers of living water. Uh, that's what we have. We don't need to fear because the shepherd is with us. We don't need to fret because of how he provides so graciously and so abundantly for us. You just need to remember that. Remind yourself of all that he gives to you. And there's one last way that we see him providing security back in Psalm 23. It's in verse 26. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So faint not, the shepherd will lead you home. Surely, he says, this is an exclamation. This is an affirmation. 
This is a conviction. Without any doubt, this is and this is what will happen. And it's because of his goodness, the good acts of the shepherd towards his sheep. Have you ever stopped to think about the good things that the shepherd has done for you if you're one of his sheep? Have you ever thought to write down the good things that he does for you? In Psalm 31, verse 19, it says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. How abundant is your goodness that you have stored up. So it's like there's a storehouse of God's goodness and you've got the key to that storehouse. That's how great his goodness is towards his people. We need to be reminded of how good he is to us and not just fuss about how tough things are in, in this life and how bad things seem to be going. No, I have a shepherd and, and, and he's doing good things for me. In, in eight, Psalm 84, 11, it says, For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. How much does he withhold? Nothing. He is eager and willing to show goodness to his people. That's what a shepherd does. He cares about his sheep. He does good for them. Psalm 119, verse 68, simply says, You are good and do good. You are good and do good. God is good. Amen? Now, see, if we were at camp, I would say God is good, and you would say all the time, and I would say all the time, and you would say God is good. Some of you are getting it. God is good and does good. He does good. And not only his goodness, but his mercy. It talks about there his mercy. This is a very significant Hebrew word. Hesed is the, is the word. It speaks of his covenant-keeping, loyal love. God keeps his promises. And it expresses the tenacious commitment of God's love towards his people. He aggressively keeps his promises. And all of this, all of this goodness, all of this mercy will follow me, or a better translation would be pursues me. It chases after me. It's like a predator going after its prey. It's like sheepdogs keeping the sheep in line. It's tenacious. It's aggressive. All the days, he's gonna, it's going to follow me, pursue me, all the days of my life. That's always. That's an unchanging certainty. Every single day, I cannot get away from God's goodness and mercy because it's chasing after me. If it was up to me, yeah, things, I wouldn't be so confident. But his goodness and his mercy, it's chasing after me. I can't get away from God's goodness and his mercy, and it's there every single day. Every single day. 
You just got to believe that. You got to believe that. How, how many people are exulting today like David is in this psalm? How, how many really have this kind of confidence that they would express it like this, like David does? And then there's an affirmation here in this verse. He says, I shall dwell. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Basically, he's expressing a consuming desire to always be in the presence of the Lord. And he could be referring to a literal place. He could be referring to the tent that he had set up uh, there in Jerusalem where they had the Ark of the Covenant. And David would actually go there. It would be called the house of the Lord. He could go there and worship the Lord. But more, most likely what he's referring to here is going to be with him forever in his presence in heaven. Because these words here uh, forever speak of eternity. And you can see other psalms like 21.4 or 93.5 that use the word that way. So basically what he's saying here is that goodness and mercy are going to chase after me, pursue me, and the shepherd's going to lead me all the way home. All the way home. So fear not, fret not, and faint not. Just to, just to go back and review the affirmations that we read in this psalm, he says the first one is there in verse 1, I shall not want. That speaks of the total contentment that we can have in the sufficient shepherd. He, he says in verse 4, I will fear no evil. I'm secure in the strength of the shepherd. And then the last one, I shall dwell. He's confident in the never-ending love of the shepherd. These are great statements, great affirmations, great things to dwell on. You know, I said that this is the most popular psalm, and I believe that that also makes it the most dangerous psalm because many people know the psalm, but they don't know the shepherd. They think they do because they know the psalm. You can't make those affirmations there unless you can say the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. I have responded to his call. I have turned away from the sin, my sin and the world, and I have turned to follow him. And he leads me. He leads me. I, I'm not calling the shots in my life. He's calling the shots. He leads me. If you can say that, then you can make these affirmations. And, you know, the idea of you can know the psalm without knowing the shepherd, that was illustrated in an event that happened at one time when an old pastor, and it wasn't me, could have been me, but it wasn't me, an old pastor was invited to a very special kind of a gala event, which, you know, normally he wouldn't go to, but he got invited to, so he went. And there was a famous actor there who was reciting lines from well-known uh, productions, and you know, the people were amazed at how eloquent he was and how powerful his words were. And he started taking requests. You know, what would you like to hear me say? And people would yell out different things, and he would repeat the lines from those productions. 
And the pastor thought, well, I've never come to these things. This is one, my one shot. So he, you know, he raises his hand and says, could you recite Psalm 23? And the actor said, I will do that on one condition. After I recite it, you recite it. Well, the pastor wasn't prepared for that, but he said, he was kind of on the spot now, so he said, okay. So the, the actor did it with all of the power that he has with words and to make it come alive. And at the end, the people gave him a thunderous ovation. And then he said, okay, pastor, it's your turn. And the pastor in his, you know, faltering voice and weak voice, he, he said the psalm. He, he recited the psalm. At the end, everybody was in tears. And the actor said, I think I understand the difference in your response. I know the psalm. He knows the shepherd. What do you know better? The psalm or the shepherd? I'm here today to encourage you to follow the shepherd. Are you following him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have this psalm with its great pictures and great promises of the Lord as a shepherd who cares for his sheep, cares in every way, is sufficient in every way for their life. He satisfies, he sanctifies, and he secures. We don't need to fear, we don't need to fret, we don't need to faint. But only if we can say the Lord is my shepherd. Lord, I pray that that would be the confession of every person here today. That they would be able to say the Lord is my shepherd. In fact, Lord, I pray today might be the day for some that this is the first time they acknowledge you as the shepherd of their life. The one that they need to forgive them of their sins and to give them this life that we've talked about. Lord, I pray for those here today who are already sheep of the shepherd, that they'd be greatly encouraged by these truths that we, that we see in this well-known psalm uh, about the shepherd and all that he provides for his sheep. This, this uh, psalm is all about him and what he does and what he does in so abundantly loving and caring for his sheep. Pray, Lord, that everybody here might find the kind of comfort that David talks about no matter what their circumstances might be. So Lord, we thank you for this time and we thank you that we have a shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep so that we might have abundant life in him. And we give you all the praise and the thanks in our Savior's name.